0: Take your Bible and move, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians, the letter of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. This morning I want to draw our attention kind of in way as a conclusion to our 10 ministry commitment study, thankful for Jeremy's uh, instruction for us from the psalms uh, last week in regards to our family. I want to come back and make sure that we've wrapped up and carefully closed out our 10 ministry commitments, and I want to do that with a passage that I think will speak to the underlying theme of uh, at least our last, our 10th ministry commitment to congregational ministry, to collective ministry, to one another, to serving uh, one another. And also, I want to bring us to First Thessalonians chapter 4 because of the ongoing effect of our men's Bible study this previous Tuesday uh, from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Those are probably familiar verses to some of you. Uh, Paul tells the Ephesian believers to be imitators of God as little children. Um, He then goes on to say that the imitation of God is not something left to our own definition. We don't get to define that our own way but rather highlights it's the, it's the love that comes from God through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice in our place that is the model that we follow in our love, in our imitation of God. So people ought to look at us, as we studied this, as men. They ought to look at us as men today in our daily life as imitations of our Heavenly Father, as mimickers of our Heavenly Father. So that draws my attention both to conclude our 10 ministry commitments and to bring um, our consideration to what it is to walk in love to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There is a dramatic and a pervasive biblical assumption in your New Testaments that as as a church, as local churches make up the church of Jesus Christ, that there would be the ongoing, active, real display of of love. Now there are few words in our culture that have lost their definition. Biblically, like the word love. In fact, most of us would nod our heads in agreement that Christianity is a a a loving scenario in which to live, and that the church should be loving. Yes, we nod in agreement. Yes, we should. Be loving. But when it comes to defining that love, to articulating that love, to explaining that love, to actually obeying the commands to walk in love, we could have as many definitions as we have people in the room. Much of our culture has hijacked the word love to be something that is merely a feeling. It's simply an emotion that we have. Much of the word love is lost to the sensual definitions of love. The sexual union of a loving marriage relationship has been hijacked with the word love being given to all forms of immorality. And so love becomes one of those vague words that we need constant renewal of our mind. We need to be reminded over and over again what it is to walk in love from a biblical perspective. So this morning I want to do that with you as an underlying premise for us in our commitment to live life together as a local church. Committed to sound doctrine and committed to that sound doctrine being fleshed out in our life together with one another. So this is not merely a discussion of how we can be better friends or how we can be closer to one another. Uh, This is not just a cultural assessment of how we could be Better people and clean up our lives. This is something much more serious because biblical New Testament church love, if you will, flows from the gospel. It flows from transformed hearts. In fact, the love that we'll talk about this morning and that we'll examine from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 cannot be generated apart from a new heart. Because the source of energy for this love comes from God's work in regenerating the heart of a sinful human being. Putting him in a local assembly with other redeemed and regenerated sinful human beings. And then providing strength, energy, and desire to obey this command. So this is all dependent upon the gospel. Therefore, it is not merely some self-help discussion this morning. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is a great place for us to go to give a glance at least at this call for our love within the local assembly together. Our love for one another is to be a doctrinal love. It's an active expression of what is true about our relationship with God. So the way we relate to one another is supposed to be an active representation of how we relate to God. So God's relationship to me... Vertically, if you will, if you've used these pictures before, directly affects my relationship to you and your relationship to one another and my relationship to others horizontally. So the vertical is intended, fully intended, to inform the horizontal when it comes to love. So we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul is addressing another local church in a place far away from here called Thessalonica. And in the Thessalonican church, there was a myriad of problems because they were just like us. They were sinners saved by grace, progressing toward Christ's likeness. Therefore, the flesh was still there, the presence of sin was still there, bad thinking still happened. And so Paul writes these words for them. He commends them, in the first part of chapter 4, to walk in purity. Their purity was a necessity for the impact of the gospel. And in the second portion of that first paragraph, in verse number 9 down through verse number 12, he comes to the issue of love toward one another, or church, local church love. So let's let's read the text together. Verse number 9 says, Now concerning brotherly love, on no one. Big idea this morning for our study or the theme for our study is, is quite simple. Church love, which I'll use throughout the morning as an expression or a shorter version of love for one another within the body of Christ. Church love is not optional for the church. Or if we want to personalize that, church love is not optional for Grace Church. Because our love for one another within the body of Christ, flows directly from the love we've received from God Himself. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we study this text. Father, thank You for these four verses. In Your kind providence, You have brought us all to this room, right here, at this moment, with Your Word in our language before us. And you have granted us, who were your enemies, adoption as sons and daughters. And in that adoption, you have granted to us, who are blind and deaf and hard-hearted, open eyes, open ears, and soft hearts, and the presence of your Spirit, who illuminates our thinking and helps us to grasp the truth of your Word, and to love it and to obey it, You've granted us strength and power to overcome sin and our flesh through the victorious resurrection of your Son. And so we come to this time as we study together, as we receive preaching, as I proclaim, we come dependent upon you, but anticipating the blessings that accompany every time we gather together to study your word and to worship you through our response. So use these few moments we have to renew our minds, to inform our conscience so that we might be fully convinced that our love for one another within the body, our church love is not optional, but is the direct, immovable application of your love toward us. And we will give you praise for how you shape and mold us, knowing that you alone shape and mold us. So do this, we pray, for our strength as a church family, for the knitting together of our hearts for the mission that you've called us to, and for ultimately then your name to be exalted as your Son is lifted high with every tribe, tongue, and nation in the gospel of his name. So we ask for your strength and help now. In the name of Christ, who is our victorious Lord, we pray. Amen. Church love is not optional for the church or for Grace Church. Why isn't it an option? Why is it that this morning we are all collectively, if we are in Christ, if we've come here with transformed hearts, eyes open to the glory of Christ the end of our sin and our pursuit of our own way and walking in faith at the looking at the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Why is it then that this love for one another is demanded of us or expected of us? Well, in verses nine through twelve, I think we'll see quite clearly that there are three defining characteristics of church love that make it obvious that it is not an option. For us as a local church. Three defining characteristics of love, and they're quite simple. Let me give them to you ahead of time, and then we'll go back and we'll just touch on each one of them as we walk through the text in our study. Number one, church love is divinely inborn. It is divinely inborn. Church love is divinely inborn. Or if you like to make better outlines for me, um, Church love is God-given. It is something that is granted to us. So church love is divinely inborn. It's an internal reality for us. Number two, church love is progressively active. So it's divinely inborn and it is progressively active and outward. Church love is divinely inborn and progressively active. And number three, church love is intentionally missional. It has to do with the mission of Jesus Christ. It is intentionally missional. And we'll come back and unpack now all three of those defining characteristics of church love. Our love for one another within the body. Number one then, church love is divinely inborn. And we see that in verse number nine. I do find it ironic. I don't know if you see the irony of what Paul says in verse nine. But he says, no one has to write to you about this. And you realize how he's... Communicating that. He's writing to them about this. That's exactly what he's doing. Now concerning brotherly love or affections for one another, you have no need for anyone to write to you. Why? Because. That little word for is going to give the, the answer to the statement that there is no need for writing. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. So there is something innate in the people of God, in the people of Christ, that's been put there. There's information, there's a grid of information that is stamped upon the heart of God's people, and it's been taught by God Himself. So, in one sense, there is no reason for preaching on the church loving one another. Um, There's no reason for the believers at Thessalonica to receive a letter that commends them to love one another. Why? Because there is something divinely inborn when it comes to our love for other Christians. And in particular, our love for other Christians within our local assembly. This brotherly love is a direct reference to the family imagery that we use here in our vernacular all the time. We talk about our church as a church family that's trying to get us into the imagery of our New Testament. We are brothers and sisters. We have one Father. We have one Spirit. We have one Lord. And we've been adopted, brought near through the blood of, of that one cross, Colossians tells us. So, we are a family. And this family love for one another is inherent in us as children of God. We are taught to love Others who are in Christ by God Himself in His regenerating work through His Spirit. Do you see that? There's no reason at the one level to say anything about loving each other because it is the natural expression of the transformed heart. Now that has big implications. Right? That that seems like a simple idea and we just go, okay, and we just move on to something more applicable. But that has massive implications, brothers and sisters. If this, is, if this is the innate, this is the divinely inborn characteristic of our hearts, when, when it comes to loving other believers, we don't have to be told to do that. We naturally do that. Then if we are not doing that, if we don't have a pattern of that, if that's unnatural to us, there are eternal consequences at stake. The apostle is not flattering these Christians at Thessalonica. Let me assure you, if you've read 1 and 2 Thessalonians any time in the recent past, you know Paul's not flattering them that they don't need to be be told about love. He tells them all kinds of hard things. They are majorly messed up. There is disorder, is his word. There's disorder in the church at Thessalonica. But one thing doesn't have to be taught because church love is divinely inborn. Now, before we go much further, it is important for us to pause and to biblically define this word love. What does love look like when it's within the local assembly when it is matched up with this command or this expectation rather of the fruit of a transformed heart. Well, let me give you a couple of passages that are very important to our understanding of love and if you want to go with me to read them, that's fine. They're in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3 is the first one. It's become a memory verse in our home because of a song that has this as the chorus that we sing before bedtime with the girls. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. By this we know love. So we don't have to wonder what our love for one another needs to look like. We have a knowledge of love in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So the definition of love is Jesus Christ Himself. The expression of love that is most pure to our understanding and our knowledge of what is expected of us and what naturally should be the fruit of our lives is the cross of Christ. That's staggering. Husbands, we're used to that staggering component if we've recently engaged with Ephesians chapter 5, where we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But this is to be the mark of all of God's people in every local expression of his body. They are to be marked by this sacrificial love that is seen in the example of Christ himself. Now, just down the page on my translation, my copy of Scripture, in chapter 4 and verse 7, we find another key paragraph this time that informs our understanding of this divinely inborn church love. Beloved, John says, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is Love. In this, the love of God was made manifest to us. In other words, what he's about to say is here's how God illustrated what love looks like. Verse number nine that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. That is, through his righteous life, his substitutionary death, and his victorious resurrection. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the covering for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is completed, it's perfected in us. Now why does John say at the beginning of verse number 12, no one has ever seen God? We'll come back to that When we remember that church love is not only divinely inborn and progressively active, but is intentionally missional. The love of God is poured out upon our hearts and is the natural overflow then that we would love one another. A lack of brotherly love within our church family or toward other believers even outside of our church family. Paul references here an entire region. Thessalonica was the capital city in Macedonia. So in other words, this little church of of Thessalonica, Thessalonica was known as a place that had active, real, viable, objective love for an entire region of Christians. If our church family is not marked by love for one another first and love for believers that is a special and unique love mirroring the sacrificial love of our Savior, we have a serious problem. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the good news that God will make sinful people who are condemned under His just wrath, He'll make them righteous, He'll set them in a righteous place, not because they earn it, not because they work it out, not because they do enough good things, but because He takes His Son's righteousness and He credits it to their account. He puts it in their bank account so that their bank account no longer says indebted in sin, but filled up in righteousness. And He allows sinners into His presence through the righteousness of His Son. The good news that God will forgive that sin debt by the death of His Son. And will provide eternal life, which is to know him and his son. John 17, verse 3. For sinners like you and me. That good news that through faith God grants us righteousness, forgiveness, and life. When that good news takes root in our hearts, it spawns love for other believers. It is a default setting, it's inborn. It's innate. It's instinctive. Secondly, church love is progressively active. So it is something that God births in our hearts, but it's also progressing in this life and it is active and outward. It's not merely an internal feeling or emotion toward each other. Church love is progressively active. Look at verses 10 and 11. This love that Paul speaks of, this Christ-like sacrificial love for one another, is the testimony of these believers at Thessalonica. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But, Paul says, we urge you brothers to do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and and to work with your hands as we instructed you. So, Firstly, we saw that church love is divinely inborn, but secondly, it's progressively active. This is something that is ongoing in us. It's progressive in the sense of there is a more and more that can be lived out. Paul is not calling them to something that cannot be accomplished. With life in Christ and grace and power through Christ and the power of the Spirit of God who's with us, we can, like these Thessalonian believers, perhaps your translation says, excel still more. Do this more and more. While brotherly love is an innate desire for the regenerate heart, it is a progressively applied and perfected quality in our lives. In other words, there ought to be progress, brothers and sisters. There ought to be noticeable progress amongst us that we are actively and with more and more skill loving each other. So, how obvious is it that we are doing this more and more for one another? The idea of the more and more, I, you know, it's it's something of an idiom in our language. Um, and when I read it, for some reason, my mind doesn't grasp or sit long enough to get what the Apostle Paul is telling them. He's saying, "Do this in abundance." Do this in big numbers. Do this in extravagant expressions. Do this a lot. So loving each other ought to be an everyday natural component of our desire and our heart for one another, but it ought to be a progressively active and growing expression in our lives. We say, I love you, to certain people. At least I trust you do. I hope you get those words out of your mouth often with certain individuals in your life. But if the recipient of the words, I love you, does not see a progressive, active expression of that love, you and I both know that over time, the words, I love you, come to mean absolutely nothing. And while there is an internal stamp of love for the brothers and sisters in the believers at Thessalonica and at Grace Church, there must be a do-this-more-and-more progress and activity in this love so that these words are not empty and so that this gospel is so clearly seen in our lives. Now, there's particular application made in this text to the Thessalonian church. One of those places where you're reading a letter and you're going... I don't know that I know exactly what's going on here. Why does Paul then move into this uh, seemingly business section in verse number 11? He does it because of the express way that there is a lack of love for one another being fleshed out within the Thessalonian church. That's why we can be so confident that this love is not merely emotional because Paul's expressions that he, he uses in verse 11 are all external active components of life. Here are the ways that he commends them to love each other. Live quietly. Give your attention to your work. And use your own hands. Now, that seems like a rather specific list of commands for living out Christ-like love with one another. Something that's stamped upon the hearts of God's people. Well, it is. Because these Thessalonian believers had a a a very noticeable problem. They were known for the moochers within their church family. They were known for the freeloaders within their church family. There were, it seems, many within the church of Thessalonica who had stopped working, some because of bad theology and misunderstanding the instruction from God's Word. But there were many, for any case, who had stopped working and were merely leeching off of those who had the resources to support them within the church. So while on the one hand, you had um, the, the heart of love for one another being expressed in this generosity from those who had resources, on the flip side, you had anything but love in those who were receiving those resources. So Paul very specifically, very actively addresses the lack of love one another in this church. In this church family, the way that this love was not progressing was in this issue of work and resources. So he commends them to live quietly. Not only were they not working and mooching off of those who had, is mooching a normal word? Like some of you are looking at me like you don't use the word mooch. Um, Yeah, mooch. Mooch is is a word that means something similar to Leeching, Is that like a leech, you know, you don't want to leech on you, you don't want to mooch on you either, okay? Mooching, this was, this was the way they were described, and the living quietly, while they were idle and mooching, they were also stirred up. So there was all kinds of noise in this church. I mean, like, static noise. There was all this hustle and bustle, but but there was something Dramatically wrong with it. Actually, if they loved one another, if they were concerned for one another, they would live quietly, unnoticed, peaceful. There would be a calmness to the church family. This would be loving each other. Minding your own affairs. Other translations probably do a better job with this than the English Standard Version does, but the idea here is to give your attention to your business as in your work. Keep your nose down. Stay at the job. Keep your head down and don't look up until you're finished. Paul says, if you love each other, be calm, live quietly, stay active in your work. Now, the idleness of this church family was not because the economy in Thessalonica had hit the tank, or hit bottom in the tank, or empty in the tank. It was not because the economy was such that these people couldn't get jobs. There were plenty of jobs. They were choosing not to work because they could mooch or leech off of those within the church. So get your mind and focus back on your business and use your own hands. Manual labor was brotherly love for the Thessalonians. Now I say all that not because we have a massive mooching problem within our local assembly. In fact, the danger is that we don't have this. So what we're prone to do when we read our Bibles and we read something that's not apples for apples in our life is to go, oh good, we don't have that problem. And we write in our journal, thank you Lord, I don't have that problem. And the danger would be that we would miss what Paul's saying. What Paul is so clearly defining for us, just like he was defining for the Thessalonians, is that church love is progressive, excelling still more and more, abundantly, abundantly, and it is active. So the question we ought to ask ourselves this morning is, how am I I giving my life away, thinking more of others than myself, serving sacrificially, in love for the brothers and sisters in my local assembly. It might mean that I need to go to work to love the brothers and sisters in the assembly. But perhaps that's not the case here in our church family. Whatever the case, church love is progressive and it is active. So it's not optional and it's not invisible we don't just get to say, I love you, and that's it. Like, there's no argument. There's no, there's no um, exploration into what that actually means. There's no investigation of whether that love is valid. Saying we love each other is, is appropriate and helpful in communicating the truth to one another, and love is great. But love within the church is as active and visible as the love of Jesus is to us at the cross. It's that obvious. So that's why Paul says this is an innate quality that's inborn from God in your heart and in my heart in Christ. But that's also why he says, and now, do this more and more. Build on this and be active and careful to consider how you might be giving your life for the sake of the brothers, as John commended us in 1 John 3 and 4. So it's not optional. It's divinely inborn. It's progressively active. And then finally, church love is intentionally missional. Now you guys who are a part of our church family, you folks, uh, you're not all guys, you folks, men and women, brothers and sisters who are part of our church family know how much I enjoy words in our text. And there are two words here that ought to jump off the page for us as students of God's Word. So that... I mean, this is right up there with their force. This is exciting stuff. Because when you get to a sew so that in a paragraph, you are getting the purpose statement for what was just said. You are getting, and I am getting the answer why. So if we ask the question, why should we be doing this? Why is love for one another a natural component of God's people? Why is it progressive and active? So that is about to answer the question. So in verse 12, we find the answer. Love within the church is intentionally missional. It's on purpose. So that you may walk properly, orderly, before outsiders. And be dependent on no one. Two qualities, or two characteristics that make up this divine purpose. This intentional and missional purpose. And I use the word missional just simply to drive us back to the kingdom mission of our Savior. We are not gathered in the church to isolate ourselves. We are not gathered in the church to get away from the the nasty now and now until we get to the sweet by and by. Right? That's not why we're here. That's not why we're here on the Lord's Day. We're here on the Lord's Day to worship and to be equipped to go back into our daily lives. We fellowship with one another for the sake of encouraging one another and building one another up for the ongoing fruit of our lives. And here we find the missional purpose for even our love for each other so that you may walk properly before outsiders. The love that you as a part of our local assembly or if you're visiting with us, your local assembly the love that you have for one another and that others have for you is God's intended evangelistic illustration. Something is supposed to be very different about us. As in like transformationally different. And it is to be marked with this one key characteristic. We love each other actively, aggressively, progressively, abundantly, more and more. We love each other with an unnatural, apart from Christ, love. So that outsiders, and there are insiders and outsiders within the church, As uncommon as that may be today and unpopular as it may be to say, there are outsiders. There are people who are not a part of the family of God. Those outsiders are supposed to see us walk. They're supposed to see our daily lives. And in our imitation of our Heavenly Father, in our mimicking of the characteristics and the qualities of our Father, they are to see us love each other just like our Savior loved us. So, the vertical is to directly impact the horizontal so that there is a global impact within the church. So, in other words, when it comes to the intentional and missional component of loving each other, if we are not aggressively doing this more and more, we are also at the same time becoming less and less effective in our mission for the king. Do you see the correlation? our our relationship to one another, our active love for each other, our service of one another, our words to one another, our acts of kindness to one another, our forgiveness of one another, our living life with one another, our praying for one another, our confessing sin to one another, all of those one another's are to put on display, are to be the proper outworking of the gospel change in the life of the church. So it's not optional because it is a key component to the very mission of God on the earth. There is only one part of church and being a part of the church that will not accompany us to our our eternal glory with, with God in Christ. And that is the mission the mission when it comes to our earthly existence to be God-glorifying through the proclamation of the good news will end. There will be no more proclamation of the good news to those who are outsiders. And so our brotherly love is essential because our church love has at its very core a missional component for the sake of those watching on the outside. So there is to be a special church love that is distinct in so much as it is relating to those who are within the body of Christ in a way that shows those who are not a part of the body of Christ who Christ is and how dramatic and glorious the transformation that He works. Now, it's not just an outside influence that is at the missional purpose. Notice verse 12 in the second and final part of that verse. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. And Paul here comes racing back into the family of the local church of Thessalonica. The second component that's intentional and missional is for the unity of this body. Their love for one another is so that they are walking properly as God intended orderly, according to plan, if you will, in front of those who are not a part of the body of Christ and so that there is an ever-intensifying unity with one another. Paul certainly is not here teaching some kind of independence within the church where we don't care about each other and we don't interact with one another. He's talking here again to the moochers who were using the gospel as an excuse to not work, but to leech off of those who had resources. That was destroying unity. While they were connected through financial aid to the people that they were relating to, they were not unified with them in gospel love. So their independence would work on their behalf an ongoing and ever-deepening unity within their church family. So church love, love for one another, progressive and active, divinely inborn, is intentionally missional, both for the sake of our unity from within and then our witness, our testimony. We are on the testimony stand weekly, brothers and sisters. And our local assembly is to be testifying to the love of God through Christ that has transformed our hearts. When we tell others about the gospel, we ought to be able to say, come to Grace Church and see it. It's unbelievable. You won't fathom what the gospel does. That's, that's a convicting thought, is it not? Church love is not optional for the church. And of course, it's not optional for Grace Church. Okay, a couple thoughts of application. Then we're going to remember the first love, which was not ours toward God, but God's towards us through Christ in communion. An alarm clock for us to be reminded that there has been a substitution in our place. Here's a couple thoughts before we do that. Number one, and most eternally significant, is there love from God so that there can be love for others? Do you find yourself completely devoid of love for believers because they're believers? If that's the case and you are claiming the name of Christ, there is reason to make your calling and election sure. Sure. There's reason for concern because the love of God poured out on his people expresses itself naturally in their love for one another. So consider your condition before God this morning, and if you find yourself apart from the love of God, humble yourself, repent and believe. Place your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ alone. Cry out for grace from God, and he will give it through his Son. He is not a respecter of persons, he doesn't take a checklist of who you are, your last name, what you've done, where you've been, and then say, I don't know. I, I don't like your resume. I don't think I'm going to give you grace if you will be humbled and will see Christ. He is drawing you to Himself and He will give grace. Run to Christ. To know this love for one another, there must be the love of God present in us. Number two, is there progress in activity, in our love for each other? And this is a question that perhaps we'll address maybe this week in settings with each other, maybe around a meal, maybe at a grace group, maybe at a small group or some other context, maybe a text or a phone call. Is this progressive and active? Do people actually know that I love them? Does Grace Church represent the progressive and active application of the innate love that Christians have for other Christians or is this just where we come and get church done it's a good question for us to consider number 3 is there application of this missional intention for our love do you and do i on an on an ongoing basis think of and then utilize the church as an evangelistic tool would you invite an unbelieving neighbor or coworker to your small group so that they could see what it's like when Christians love Christians? Would you tell them about other Christians in your local assembly that are loving each other and say, this is what happens. See, we have new hearts and This brother or sister or that brother or sister within my local church, which is just the gathering of the believers in my locale, they are showing that. Do we operate with that application? Because that is the intention. The growing unity and the missional component of our love for one another is God's intention, so we must apply ourselves to it. Okay? upon no one.